Welcome you back. Welcome you back. What's that? Eyes on the prize. There we go. Very good. If I sound a little stuffy today, it's because I am. So <laughs> I, uh, I, th I don't know if it was allergies. I could kind of sense that they were kind of kicking in or something. And I don't know. So either I got a cold or allergies, but it and the stuffiness part hit yesterday, so last night. So, of course, on a Sunday morning when I need to speak, all right? Hey, we're going to be back in the book of Philippians. We've been working our way through the book of Philippians. We did, I believe, four messages in the book of Philippians. And so we got two left. We got two left, so we're going to hit one today. And then something happens next week. Uh, next week we have some missionaries. The Gasters will be with us. And they are going out for their first missionary appointment. And they currently live in McCook, Nebraska. They're on staff there. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Lizzie, Lizzie said, oh, we, I met these people at camp, and we really need to get them in. They're going on the mission field. And then a week or two later, my wife says, hey, we need really need to get the Gasters here with us. And it's kind of like, okay, we need to get the Gasters here. So, um, so I think they are going to Spain, I believe. And so they'll be with us next Sunday. Uh, we will, Amy and I will be at our network council Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning, and Christy will be there as well, and uh, Pastor Andy and Lizzie. So uh, that happens this week. Um, so where was I going with that? I don't know. Um, but, yes, yeah, so then, uh, then the following week on, that's May 1st is when the Gasters will be with us. May 8th is Mother's Day. So... We do a special gift for moms. So moms, if you're listening, we do a special gift for you on Mother's Day, and the kids get to participate on that, the Wednesday night kids. And so that will be on May 8th, and then we'll probably get the final message on the 15th then of uh, Philippians. It ends on a good note. So today we're going to talk about eyes on the prize, eyes on the prize. So before we, uh, well, actually I'll do a little introduction, then we'll pray. So um, often we can use the expression that someone is possessed when they are totally consumed with a goal or a purpose. You ever been that way? Is there certain things that you are just like all in on? It's kind of like um, men can be a little more like that, but women, women, w women can be too. Women can be too. Um, that's probably a strength of men. I think men can, they have that ability just to stay focused on one thing and zero in on that th to the detriment that they don't see the other stuff okay and all the wives said yeah so so that is their strength but it also can be their weakness because they can be so glued in on whether it's watching the football game or whether it's their project they're working on or whatever the case may be they can be so zeroed in at times that they're not catching everything else that is happening right all right we don't want to go too far down that trail all right so, but we can at times be so consumed with something that it just controls every aspect of our life. As we look at the um, book of Philippians, Paul, I want to look just a little history, but Paul um, didn't grow up in the church. He grew up as a, a very zealous Jew, okay? He had incredible training. He had a Roman and Jewish citizenship, okay? And that Roman citizenship was and gave him great inroads into a lot of different cultures, which would come in handy when he became uh, one of the first missionaries we kind of see in Scripture. But before knowing Christ, 
he was very dedicated to the law. He was consumed with following the law. And so the law in our scripture would be kind of like those first five books, especially like Deuteronomy and not only the Ten Commandments, but there's a lot of things in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And you've maybe read through there and it's kind of like, whoa, it's kind of like this is rules on overload, right? And it was things that God had given the people of Israel to help them be set apart from the world around them, okay? There was a reason to what God was asking them to do. But Paul took these to the limit. And then beyond that, the Jewish leadership added on top of that. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, you'll see that Jesus would break some of these man-made rules that they had made law, okay? So when he's talking about the law, it's not only just what God's word and his laws, but also some of the man-made ones that they had put in place, all right? And so Paul was consumed with that, and because of that, he was elevated into the church. And so Jesus is crucified, he's resurrected, okay? So we looked at that last week with Easter, and then all of a sudden, Paul comes on the scene. You see that in the book of Acts. So I'm going to have a sip here. All right. And so then we see that Paul comes on the scene. (coughs) And um, it's not in a good way. Acts chapter 7, he is out on a mission, and his mission is to do what? He's going to persecute Christians. He's going to take it out on them. He's actually on his way to Damascus, and he has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. This bright light shines. He doesn't know what, what's up. And then it, this voice speaks. The people with him can hear the voice, but they can't see anything. Paul is blinded. It's like a glaze is over his eyes. Those would fall off when he's prayed for a few days later. But he has an encounter with the risen Christ. And from that point on, his life takes a whole different direction, kind of like doing a 180 in the parking lot, okay? Okay, I know none of you have ever done that, but that's what happened in his life. He was going in one direction, and all of a sudden now God gets a hold of his life, and he goes in this opposite direction. And so you see in the book of Acts, the latter part of the book of Acts, the first part of Acts deals with the ministry of Peter. The last part deals with the ministry of Paul as he goes to the Gentiles. That's what God had called him to be a light to the Gentiles, the people outside of the Jewish faith. But wherever Paul went, he went first to the Jewish synagogue, taught to them until they kicked him out, and then he went to the Gentiles and shared Christ with them. So it is there that I want us to begin because Philippians then is part of this whole story of Paul's life. Paul ends up there in Philippi on his second missionary journey. Okay, there's three of them that we see recorded in the book of Acts. He ends up there because of a vision that he has. They take a ship. The first place they stop in the Macedonia area is the city of Philippi, and a church is birthed there. Um, When he writes this, he's writing this from prison. And so we've we've covered a lot of different things here in the first part of Philippians, and today we're going to look at chapter 3. We're going to zero in on chapter 3. So before we do, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is quick, it is powerful, it is alive to us, Lord God. And we pray that uh, this morning that it comes alive to us, Lord. By your Holy Spirit, take the words uh, that I speak and that are in our copy of God's word and let them speak life to us. We give you the thanks. We ask it in your name. Everybody said Amen. So let's look at this together. We're going to start with verses 1 through 6. It says, Further, my brothers and sisters, so he's kind of building on what he's just talked about, two dealt with um, 
the incarnation of Christ and then doing everything without grumbling and complaining and all that. So we touched upon those. He said, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And rejoice is a word that is repeated often in the book of Philippians and even more so in chapter 4. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. So who are the dogs? Anybody want to curious? You know, you see that? Who's the dogs, right? Who let the dogs out, right? All right. The, the, Paul's expression there is not a very kind expression. It is to a Jewish people that were called the zealots. And they were so zealous for the law that um, Paul often had confrontations with them in the different communities that they were uh, at, and it's because that Paul didn't stress salvation or righteousness because of following the law, okay? It was through faith, and so these zealots followed the law to a T, and especially one of the marks of being part of the Jewish faith that we go all the way back to Abraham was circumcision, all right? So uh, you may know what circumcision is or not. If you got, you're a guy, you probably know what circumcision is, all right? All right, and usually it's done in those early stages after birth that um, the male child is usually circumcised, but it all, a lot of it depends on culture nowadays. In America, we follow it. It doesn't have to do with our faith, typically. It's more of a matter of choice. Uh, sometimes it's about hygiene and things like that. But these zealots, that was a mark of the Jewish faith. And so with Abraham and as the Jewish Israel as a nation grows, circumcision became an identification that they were set apart from the rest of the world, set apart unto God, all right? Now, as the church grew, circumcision wasn't important to the Christian faith. It was by faith that we were made righteous. But these people were pressing people that were getting saved and coming to Christ. They said, you know what? If you're really going to be saved, you still have to be circumcised. So you can see that come out in Paul's language here. In fact, he even calls them mutilators of the flesh, all right? For we are of the circumcision. So Paul says, hey, the people that are really circumcised are those that have dedicated their life to Christ, have removed sin from their life, and have purified themselves. That is what true circumcision is, okay? All right. For we are of the true circumcision who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ, Jesus Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So confidence in the flesh. What does Paul mean there by confidence in the flesh? It means that uh, back in Paul's day, it probably meant something different than what we do today. So back in Paul day, Paul's day, is like, hey, if I am circumcised, I'm going to heaven and I know God. Okay? It doesn't care how I live my life or whatever, but if I'm circumcised, that is, that's my ticket to heaven. Today... We, we can do that same thing. It might not be the area of circumcision, but it might be the area of, hey, I was baptized and I was confirmed. Therefore, my, I punched my ticket and I'm going to heaven. And we know that baptism is important, right? It is an outward sign of what God has done within our life. We are instructed in obedience to follow the Lord in baptism. But if, if you think that just I can get baptized and go on my go through life and forget about God, and, but I've been baptized, I'm going to heaven, well... I don't think that's the case. It is still by faith that we are saved. Or we may think, you know what, I'm in church every Sunday. You know what, there's going to be people that were in church every Sunday. They were in church religiously every Sunday. 
And when God opens up that book, the book of life, their name won't be written in there because there was no relationship with God. And you say, is there people like that? Absolutely there is. Those would be um, works of the flesh. We're trying to get there with our own human effort. So what does that check the box for you? What makes you feel righteous before God? And often when we can do these things, I can fast, I can pray, I can be baptized, I can be in church, I can do service within the church. But if we are doing it just to make ourselves righteous before God, it's it's not enough. Those should be fruit. Those should be an outflow of our relationship with God. But those things in in and of themselves will not save us. Okay? So, a couple more verses here. If someone thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. He brags here. Circumcised on the eighth day. Check. He's checking the box. Of the people of Israel, check. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin was a good tribe, folks, okay? Check. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the cut above, check. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, so they saw themselves a little bit better than the Sadducees, okay? Check. As for zeal, that zeal box, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless, check. He had checked all the boxes. If anybody could say, hey, I'm righteous before God, it, could, it was Paul. And my question for us, all the points this morning are questions, okay? The first question is, what are you placing your confidence in? All right? What are you placing your confidence in? Is it in your accomplishments, your status, your good deeds, your family background? Often I hear people say, you know what? Uh, yeah, I'll ask them, you know, do you feel like you have that faith, that hope that you know that you're going to heaven. It's kind of like, yeah, I, you know, I feel like I'm a good person and I've lived a good life. Now, when they say that, their definition of good is based upon what? The other people that they know, right? Yeah. They, you know, compared to my neighbor, I am a pretty good person, right? Uh, compared to so-and-so, I'm a pretty good person. In fact, compared to the person that I go to church with, you know, man, I know I don't do, I don't watch the movies that they do or the TV shows, right? Right? We compare other people, and that becomes our definition of what is good and righteous. It's not God's word. It's not his standard. If we are to align our lives with God's standards, we are all sunk. We're all sunk. Because there's nobody that can be righteous. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, it says in Scripture. And so they're not comparing themselves against God's standards, but they're comparing themselves against the people around them. And they say, you know what, I'm a good person based upon that. And I think they say that in a way that is, uh, they're being honest, okay? I don't think that they're trying to manipulate things or being false, but they're going with what they know, right? They're hoping that they're living a good enough life that when it is their time to appear before God, that they'll make it to heaven. They're hoping. But Scripture says we can know for sure that we can have that. You know, concerning our righteousness and hope and salvation, what are you placing your confidence in? So let's read verses 7 through 9. It says, Whoever, whatever gains that these things were to me, I consider them what? Loss. It's like taking all your accolades and your accomplishments. How many still have a trophy case? How many still have a trophy case? Shrondadia. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
It's like taking all those accolades and accomplishments, awards, set them aside. Say, you know what? Those are nothing. Those are nothing compared to the righteousness I'm finding in Christ for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Now, if you have the King James, New King James, it says what? Maybe dung or refuse or something like that, right? Garbage, yeah. But that's what it means. It's things you no longer need. They're worthless to you, right? He goes, I consider those things nothing. They go in the garbage pit because compared to knowing Christ, that's what's important. And this was an aha moment for Paul that his whole life he had pursued righteousness before God by following the letter of the law. That was his righteousness, and he did it with all he had. And then when he meets Christ, he realizes, and he grows in his faith, he realizes, you know what, all that was meaningless. It was, maybe there was a goodness, good part to it, but it wasn't going to get him to heaven. And he goes, I want to know Christ. He is my righteousness. And that has to come for each of us. We all need that aha moment within our own life where we realize, you know what, Coming to church is important, and I believe that more now than I ever, because even with COVID, um, you know, if you're joining us on Facebook, I am glad you are there, and for some people, that is the best option right now, and and um, yeah, but we need that fellowship, all right, and that's where we grow. Why do we need church? Because that's where we grow, and we sharpen one another. We need that fellowship. We need to pray for one another, right? We need that, okay? Now, does it make me more righteous? Yeah, it does because I'm here and God is working in my life, but it's not like I was in church, check off the box. Am I making sense on that? Because you can be in church and not have God work in your life at all. Um, Paul found a righteousness that came totally from God and his faith in him. And he says, you know what, all these other things that I used to put my hope, my confidence in, they're nothing, they're worthless, they're rubbish, they're worthless, garbage compared to knowing Christ. Amen? Verses 10 and 11. This moves on to point two, the second question. All right, 10 and 11. All right. I'll find 10. I don't know if I read it all, did I? But that what comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So our righteousness comes through. I don't hear it. Our Faith in God, right? Faith in God. Faith in God. Does that seem a little too simple? Don't all those other things seem like they're more concrete? That checklist? How many are checklist people? I am. Yeah, I knew. Yeah, I kind of figured you were. Yeah. Yeah, we can be checklist people. It's concrete. I can see what I did, right? Faith in God maybe seems a little bit abstract. But it's that relationship with God. Our faith is that relationship with God that I'm trusting in Him alone for my salvation. It only comes through Him. All right? Now he gets into verse, and that second point, 10 and 11. We see what his focus is, what his prize is. I want to, what? Know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection. Woo! There we go. Sharonda read that. We had Easter last week, right? Man, she got us going off. Man, she got us off to a good start, didn't she? Amen. 
All right. I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life and participate in his suffering. Ooh. Maybe we should cross that part out. Right? We didn't read that, did we? I want to participate in Christ's suffering, becoming like him and even in his death, and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So let's talk about this a little more. Well, I want to know Christ. Now, we can use that word know in a couple different ways, especially in the English language. And the word that's used here in the original language, the Greek, it is a little more specific, okay? So I can say, um, I know our president. I know of him, right? If I saw a picture of him, I'd say, yeah, it's Joe Biden. Or I know Pete Ricketts, right? And I have seen Pete Ricketts in person, and I shook his hand, right? I got to meet Jim Pillen this week, all right? All right, got to shake his hand and find out he's from Columbus. So we have elections coming up here. I hope you guys are digging into that, and, and uh, I think we need some prayer over that. But I could say I know them. But it's more of I know their acquaintance, right? That is a totally different knowing them than if you talk about I know my spouse or I know my children. Why? Because you know them. You know you have a relationship with them. You know their likes and dislikes. So if we were to do a quiz right now, what's your wife's favorite ice cream? Matthew would know what that is, right? Right, Matthew? All right. All right, Gary? Gary, you know what it is, all right? My wife's is chocolate, I believe. So, Yes, deep chocolate, yes. She likes that chocolate. Um, but knowing there's the experience part when Paul says, I want to know Christ, it's more than I just know of him, but I know and have a relationship with him, okay, and I've experienced him. You know, the, the cool thing you read in the book of James, you'll find out that even the demons believe in God and know God. You think they're going to be in heaven? No. But they sometimes have probably have more belief in God than the people walking down the street. Paul says, I want to know Christ in a relation well to relational way and experience him. And how do we do that? It's by having fellowship with God. It's by walking with him in prayer and studying God's word and living by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we get into that, we have a relationship with him. It's just like um, having a relationship with our child or having a relationship with our spouse. It takes time of being together, Right? Now, you will get in big trouble if you say, oh, yep, I spent time with my wife this week, check mark. I spent time with my husband this week, check mark, right? It's not about that. It is, it's about relationship and being together, right? That's where we experience when we come to know each other. That's what Paul's talking about. I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of resurrection, resurrection power. And so that same power that raised Christ from the dead is also at work in our lives. It brings us from death to to life, right? Brings us from death. Before we knew Christ, it says we were dead in our transgression. So I'm going to jump ahead here. So if you're in Philippians, just go back just a few pages to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul describes it a little bit here, what he's talking about. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. Why? Because we've all sinned, right? But because of God's great love for you. So everybody say amen. 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgression, it is by grace you have been saved. You, you should all have this underlined in the Bible. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparably great riches of his grace. That's by grace upon grace upon grace. Expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 8 and 9, this is the part you should have memorized. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Okay, that's where the works part comes in again. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance to do. Did you know you're God's handiwork? You are God's handiwork, created in His image to be in relationship with Him. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And when we know His resurrection power in our life, it sets us free to live for God. The second question I want you to focus on, on is, do you know Christ and His resurrection power? Only you can answer that. Yeah, I know God. I believe in God. I believe there's a God. If we were to do a poll, a lot of people would say that. But I don't think all of them know Christ as Paul is intending here. You can't determine anybody else. All you can answer for is yourself. Do you know Christ? Is he your friend? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Do you walk with him? So first of all, do you know Christ? Is it that relational aspect where you have fellowship with him? And there again, we call it devotions where you read your Bible and prayer every day. Okay, how many call that devotions? Or maybe you call it your devotion. Okay, all right. All right, so that is the environment that I place myself so that I can grow in Christ. So I can hear from God, I can read His Word, He can speak to me. But it can easily become legalism where I check the box. And only you can keep that fresh where it is not just a checking the box, but it's a place where God can speak to your life. Okay, so I, you saw my seedlings that I'm growing from scratch. Okay, I showed a picture of them, I think that was last week, right? So I set them out this week, and it was one day that was just a barely above 50 degrees, right? They didn't like that. My cucumber plants didn't like that. They kind of wilted on me. They, they didn't like that. It wasn't the right environment. So then I kept them inside, and it got warmer. And then it was really windy one day, right? It just blew everything, and my squash plants didn't like that too well. A couple of them got kinked, so we'll see if they pull through it. I don't know. But we grow when we're in the right environment, right? The idea of our devotional time is placing ourselves in a place where we can hear from God, that we can grow. He can speak to us, and we can speak to Him. That is what a devotional time is. That's what spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, reading God's Word, those aren't just things to make you feel miserable, all right? Those are things to bless your life where God can pour into your life and allow you to flourish and grow. It's like putting fertilizer on your life so that you grow. Amen? Secondly, he goes, I want to know the freedom that comes from the God's resurrection power. And he can say, I'm free. I'm not like Paul in prison. I'm not in jail. I'm free. Are you really? Can I challenge that a little bit? You leave here and go throughout this week, and I want you to track how many of the things you do just because the urge is there to do it. 
whether it's to have that second cookie or that dessert that maybe you shouldn't have. I mean, desserts, you know, it's not all bad, right? Uh, we all have our weaknesses. Mine's pizza, okay? I'll be, I'll be volleyball, all right? We, at times, know what we should do, but we can't do it. Paul talks about that in Corinthians, right? The things I don't want to do, I, w- I do. And the things I shouldn't do, I do, right? He goes, I, I don't do the things that I'm supposed to, and the things that I shouldn't do, I do. Why? Because it is surrendering our life to the Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit's power to enable us to live a godly life before Him. So, true freedom is being able to do what you should do. You following me? But often, we, as a Christian and starting to follow up with Christ, we can know what we should do, but we don't have the ability or the power to do it. And if you are living by human will alone, there's going to be times that you just can't do what God calls you to do. You can't fulfill that. Because you're trying to do it in your flesh. You're trying to do it on your own. You're saying, God... You're not saying, God, I need your Holy Spirit. I need your power to live for you. You following me? Kind of quiet. All right. Okay. Kind of like I'm the only one that deals with that. All right. His resurrection power in my life. We need that freedom in our lives. Amen? 12 through 19. Let's finish it up here. Wrap her up. I have not already obtained all this. So Paul's even be honest. It's kind of like some people are just like, oh man, I have arrived, right? I got it all figured out. You ever talk with those people? They don't, okay? They may think they do, but they don't. Paul is very honest and he's humble. He says, I haven't obtained all this. That's my goal though. And I've already, I haven't already arrived at the goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And that is some good theology. Often we will say that I found God. Okay? The correct answer is that God found you. If we understand grace and mercy enough, you would not even have an opportunity to find God if He hadn't first extended His grace towards you and pursued you with His love. And hopefully at some point we wake up and we say, you know what, God is pursuing me and I find God, but it's because He's been pursuing you all the time. And often you've had people in your life that have been praying for you. Amen? He goes, I, ta- I want to take hold of Christ because he took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what is behind. We need to do that, folks, because you're all going to triple on the way. You're all going to fail. Okay? You have to forget what is behind and you have to strain towards what is ahead. If you're going to be an athlete, you have to do that. Right? You have to forget that last interception. You have to forget that last foul. You have to forget that last mistake. If you are going to keep your head in the game, you have to forget what is behind and press towards what is ahead. And you, know, you, you may say to me, you don't know, Pastor. You don't know what I did. I really messed up. and I, There's no way that God could love me. And I, Well, maybe you did mess up. But see, that's God's love that he's lavished upon us. It's greater than all of our sin. Don't take advantage of his grace. But when it, when you need it, it's there. Amen? I strain for what is ahead. I press on towards the prize, the goal to win the prize for which is God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's the message, the title, Eyes on the Prize. I press 
hold on to take hold of that prize. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of these things. And at some point, you may think differently that to God will make it clear to you. Okay, verse 17, let's jump ahead there. Join together and follow my example, brothers and sisters, just as you use this as a model. Keep your eyes on the one, on those who live as we do. So follow our example, he's saying. For I often have told you before and now tell you again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame and their mind is on earthly things. And so he's saying, you know what? Excuse me here. And he's, he's, he's going back to these Judaizers, these zealots that were caught up in eating certain foods or circumcision or other things. They were consumed with that and not pursuing Christ. Those things were more important to them to, than having a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Paul had encountered the risen Christ. And he says, you know what? There's nothing that can compare to that. He is my righteousness. He is my hope. He is my salvation. They were obsessed with earthly and temporal things. Paul was obsessed with following Christ. The third thing is what, who or what possesses your life? Who or what possesses your life? Is he the Lord of your life? Are you pursuing him? Are you desiring to know him? How is your pursuit with God? Maybe you got sidetracked for a while. Yeah, I did that growing up, different points in my life. I grew I was fortunate to grow up in a good family. I heard the word of God preached. I had Wednesday night programs, a youth group, but I, I strayed for a while. Yeah. But God knew where I was at. He had my zip code. He had my phone number. He didn't give up on me. Amen. I'm going to, I I think my wife is going to be joining us here shortly. And uh, Jill, you can, you can uh, come up front. And uh, how many of you remember, let's read verse 20 and then verse 1 of chapter 4. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies into be like his glorious body. So we've been talking in youth group, the rapture and the resurrection, right? We are going to be transformed into his likeness. Amen? That's the hope. That's called the blessed hope. All right? You have a citizenship in heaven, okay? If you know Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Amen. Stand firm. You know, um, so I'm going to date myself a little bit. How many, how many remember the Rocky movies? Dun, 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 right? There's a lot of popular songs that came out of that, right? But one of those songs was Eye of the Tiger, right? You know what? Some of those songs are still played today, aren't they? You go into the sports arena. We'd use that to warm up before our games. Um, but it, it's a reference to a cat, you know, like a lion or a cheetah, a tiger, right? And when they're hunting... They get down low, right, and they crawl close to the ground, and their eyes are on what? On the prize, on their prey, right? And they don't take their eyes off of it. They are focused. And 
until they get their prize. You know, and that's a similar thing that Paul's talking about, right? There's a lot of things that can get our attention in this world. Sometimes it's fame, it's, it's wealth, um, popularity, right? Even just things, sinful things, right? Lusts of the flesh. Can we just be honest? Sometimes those can get in our way. They take us, you know? You're a young man and a beautiful woman walks by. It's kind of like, yeah, my eyes are on Christ. I said, ooh, you know, right? Girls, same way, right? Right? And God has called us to keep our eyes on Him. He's the prize. And in a real world, there's times we're going to get distracted. And that's why we have to have that laser focus. This is, I'm going to keep my eyes on Him. I forget what is behind, and I press towards what is ahead, right? Are you going to triple on the way? Probably. Are you going to mess up? Probably. But that's why God's grace is there, so that we can grow, that we can mature without experiencing God's wrath, okay? It's not there to be used as like, oh yeah, I can go out and sin and do whatever I want to do because God's grace is there. That's not why God's grace is there. God's grace is so that I can mature and I can grow and become who God has called me to be and make some mistakes along the way without experiencing His wrath and His judgment. Amen? That's why His grace is there. So that one day we can all appear before Him, before heaven, and stand before Him. And He says, why should I let you into my kingdom? And you say, you know what? I got, yeah, I went to church. I led people to Christ. I was baptized. Those things are nothing. They're all loss. The only reason I, you can let me into heaven, Lord, is because I knew Christ. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He took my sin. He took my judgment. He took my pain. And God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on up here. Join the party. Join the fellowship. Your reward is here. Amen? That's my prayer for everybody. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. And uh, we had several people respond last Sunday. And uh, But maybe today is your day. Maybe today is your day. And I just encourage every one of us to pray together because some of us just need it every week, right? And there again, it's not the prayer. You have to mean it with all your heart. Saying, God, come into my heart. And so let's just pray that today. Lord, come into my heart. Cleanse me from all of my sin. Forgive me of all my failures. Forgive me for putting confidence in things of this world. Lord, help me to be dedicated and faithful to you. And help me to pursue you as a prize. The pearl of great price. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. We do want to help you in your walk with God. And would you find me if you prayed that? And you just, maybe you need to get, uh, we'd love to get you in a small group or um, some of the other things. Because a small group is where you kind of get to ask questions. And, um, it's a little more of an intimate setting.
pray together, study God's word together. The word just from the book of Philippians, the life of Paul. Paul is honest enough to say, you know what, I haven't already arrived, but I keep pressing towards that goal. And Lord God, may that be our prayer as we go into this new week, Lord God. I don't know what's happened up to this point, but today's a new day. Today is a new day. And Lord God, if we can keep you as that prize that we pursue, Lord God, the things of this earth do lose their hold, Lord God. It doesn't mean that in our humanness at times we're going we're gonna to lose our, our way or we stumble and we fall, we take our eyes off the prize. But Lord God, keep our eyes on you, Lord God. Let us pursue you to know you and the power of your resurrection in our life and have fellowship with you have fellowship with you. Lord God, go with us. Let us be a light in this world. And You know, when we're passionate about something, we don't even have to say a word. It's, it's obvious to the people around us of what has our life. And Lord God, may people, even without us saying a word, may they know that there's something in our lives that points to you, Lord God. May they know what our passion is, what we're excited about, May we be a light in this world, Lord God. We give you the thanks. We give you the praise. We ask it in your precious and holy name. And everybody said, amen. Praise God. Hey, God bless you this morning. Have fellowship. Finish off some coffee there. And uh, get to know a few people. God bless you this week. Amen. God bless you.